welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 106. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been checking out Multiverses, the new free-to-play character fighter from Warner Brothers, and also the Pokemon company showed off more of Scarlet and Violet, possibly rounding up everything we saw from the Annapurna Interactive Showcase recently. And I've also been going back to my classic game collection, and checking out Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link on the NES, and I'll be rounding up everything Nintendo has said about Breath of the Wild 2. And all that, plus I've been checking out Fortnite No Build Mode. There's a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week and it's still very, very hot here in London, so I hope wherever you are, you are staying cool and staying hydrated. Now this week, the Pokemon company showed off more from Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I'm going to be rounding up my thoughts of that later on in the show. I've also been looking forward to Breath of the Wild 2, not only going back to my classic Zelda games and a replay of Zelda 2, I've also been looking at everything Nintendo has said about Breath of the Wild 2, so if you're looking forward to that game, then stick with this episode of the This Week in Video Games podcast. Well, Annapurna Interactive was back for their second interactive showcase with new games and existing games coming to new platforms, plus plenty of exciting news there if you're a fan of Annapurna published games. Well, before we get into that, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get some more eyes on the podcast. Now, I do have a link in the podcast description, so if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out that review on a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to support the show further, check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon, all those YouTube channel memberships, and check out all those Patreon benefits. Okay, so that is my waffly intro out of the way, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing a few multiplayer games, first of all with Multiverses, the new free-to-play Smash-like character fighter from Warner Brothers. And that's great fun, plus it's free to play. I've also been getting back into Fortnite, given it now has no build mode. You know, building was always something that really, really put me off Fortnite. There's now an option to play without it, and that is right up my street. I'm going to bring you my thoughts on that later on in the show. Well, finally, I've been going back to my classic Zelda games. I'm working through the back catalogue in the build-up to Breath of the Wild 2. Earlier on in the year, I played through the original Legend of Zelda on the NES, this time I've been playing through Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link, and it is still as tough as I remember. Well, first of all today, let's dive into my review of Multiverses. Well, Smash Brothers has been a wild success for Nintendo for years. You know, games like Brawlhalla, Slap City, Lethal League Blaze, they've all tried to emulate this massive success, but none have really come close. And that could all be about to change with the open beta release of Multiverses. You know, this one is player-first games and Warner Brothers teaming up, bringing the likes of Superman, Scooby-Doo, Bugs Bunny, Taz, and even Arya Stark all into the same game. You know, this one has huge potential, but can it live up to that high bar set by Super Smash Brothers? Well, today we're going to find out as I dive into my review of Multiverses. Well, there aren't too many companies out there who can bring together a huge cast of characters like Warner Brothers. 
And they've done that here with multiverses. We've got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Steven Universe, the Iron Giant, plus we've got Game of Thrones characters as well. And the open beta has 17 characters, which is a decent-sized roster to start with, plus that leaves them plenty of room to add more characters as time goes on. Nintendo had great success in not only providing the base game, you know, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, but then success for years after providing character updates, and also other companies have definitely taken note of this. So LeBron James has also just been added into the game, and Rick and Morty are due into multiverses next. Well, player first games have done a really good job with the gameplay, you know, as a game like this really lives and dies with the gameplay feel. However, the world they've crafted really feels great, as many of the original voice cast have been added to the game, providing a familiar feel to the eclectic fandoms that are going to gravitate towards this title. So Maisie Williams is even here for Arya Stark. You've got Kevin Conroy as Batman, and the list goes on. And Warner Brothers has the finances and the clout to realise the ambitious vision laid out by Player First Games. So this one is a free-to-play game too, meaning hopefully the player count is going to shoot up when it comes out of open beta. You know, Multiverses is already doing well with the now classic watch Twitch streamers for drops marketing play that has done really, really well for them in the opening couple of weeks. Well, matches are 1v1, 2v2, or you have the four-player free-for-all style matches on familiar stages. You know, similar to Super Smash Bros., the developers have taken iconic locations. For example, the Batcave. Then you've got other stages. They are a little bit lacking at this time with the open beta only offering a handful of stages with little variation. This does offer the opportunity to improve over time, although the developers have to be careful not to offer something that feels half-baked You know, during this open beta. Given there's so much to see and learn with all the characters, I think they're probably just about to get away with it, but the levels could do with a little bit of love. As for the gameplay, it's right out of Smash Brothers' playbook. You've got to fight your opponents to increase the amount of damage on them to make it easier to knock them off the main stage. Each character has a couple of attacks to work with, and these attack buttons combined with directional pushes offer variations in attacks. So standing still and hitting the attack button will be one variation, whereas holding up, down, left or right will offer a different attack. And while it's pretty much the same as Smash Brothers, you know, it is a system that works, Plus, it's a system that's being incorporated into the new Street Fighter game when that comes out next year, so it makes for an accessible entry into the fighting genre. So you can get deep into the complexity of the characters, but also to get up and running and into the action is quick and easy with few barriers. Well, the controls feel good and tight, albeit a little bit slower than Smash Bros. Ultimate. Characters have jumps and double jumps and dashes to quickly move out of the way, and wall jumps replace the ability to mantle on the edge, and that does take some getting used to, but the wall jumps are a nice addition and reminded me of playing as Chung Lee in Street Fighter 2 back on the SNES. Yeah, Multiverses promotes the 2 versus 2 mode, which sets the game apart from Smash, and that is pretty much free-for-all at all times. So you can play in this fashion, but I would recommend in Multiverses going in as 2 versus 2, that is a good place to start. That means playing with other players, and each characters complement each other nicely, Essentially, if they are from the same cartoon, or you could have Batman and Superman teaming up, you know, each character is assigned a class that helps promote a specific playstyle like tanks, you've got assassins, ranged magic users, and support, and that means your team composition is really important and can swing a match in your favour. And that offers a new dimension to the game, 
and finding the right pair that work together well is really, really good. So do Shaggy and Taz have great teamwork? Or will Bugs Bunny and Velma work together well? You know, try out different combinations, you'll find something that works for your team. Well, players can equip perks before matches, and these offer up bonuses during the matches, allowing you to customise how your fighters operate. So three slots can be used for movement or damage, and that is further increased if your teammate adds something similar. The signature move is saved for the fourth slot, and they are special moves associated with that character. So the additions of these perks add a layer of strategy to multiverses, which surprised me, and also sets the game apart from its competitors. So so much of the game is straight from Smash Brothers, but this feature is something really different and adds to the game from a competitive point of view. So you've got loads of characters and collectibles to unlock, and Multiverses isn't very obtuse when it comes to its microtransactions and monetization. You know, the game is free to play, allowing players to dip their toes in and try the game, boosting the player population. You know, perks are unlocked by leveling up characters or spending the in-game currency called gold. That is earned from playing matches and completing Fortnite-style missions and bounties. You know, characters can be bought with gold, gleamium, or character tickets, and they are available to those who bought Founders Packs. I think that's about 30 or £35 pounds on Steam. Now, four characters are unlocked when you start, but characters steadily unlock without an insane amount of playtime. You know, all you need to do is play a few hours, and you're going to get more characters. This definitely isn't another Darth Vader from Star Wars Battlefront situation, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah, Multiverses is off to a great start and has the characters and the variety to succeed in the competitive fighter space. The roster is fairly small at the moment, but I imagine plenty more characters are going to be added over time. The monetization isn't in your face, and you unlock new characters and perks over time through gameplay. This is a player-friendly, free-to-play game that feels quite refreshing, and while it isn't as fast and slick as Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, you know, it has the time and the player base to improve, and it's in a solid state right now, right out of the gate, so if you want to jump in, plus it's free if you want to go into the open beta. Well, the developer is Player First Games. It was published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. It's available for the PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One, Series S and X, also on PC, and it was originally released in July 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Multiverses. I think it's a really good game. It's actually much better than I thought it was going to be. So I recommend jumping in. If you like any of the gameplay that you've seen, I recommend jumping in. It's free to play, so just give it a try. And if you don't like it, you can always delete it. Well, next up, the Pokemon Company was back this week to talk more about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Well, let's get on over to my first impressions of that showcase. Well, this week, the Pokemon Company held their own showcase, and we got a bunch of new details about the upcoming open-world Pokemon entry called Scarlet and Violet. So we had a brand new trailer, plus a follow-up with the developers, as we dove deeper into the details, and today, I'm going to round up all of that for you. Well, previous to the event, that we knew that the region for the game would be based on Spain, and now we have a name, and that is the Paldea region. So this has lush green lands, rivers, mountains and more, plus you've got villages, towns and farms. You've got a large city in the centre of the region called Mesagoza. And depending on which version of the game you pick up, you're going to find two schools. You've got the Naranja Academy and the Uber Academy. 
So as part of joining the school, you're going to get equipped with a Rotom phone that houses your Pokedex and also a map. Now the structure is changing slightly in this new Pokemon game. Here we have three grand stories. The first is where you take on eight gym leaders in a traditional Pokemon style, although they can be tackled in any order. Now, Pokemon are all over the region, on land, up trees, in the water, and the trailer showed off Pokemon new and old, with returning Pokemon including Haunter, Growlithe, and more. Then you've got the Paldean variants of Pokemon 2, including a Paldean Wooper. Instead of living on land, it lives in the water that has a new poison attack. So you've got new Pokemon as well, and one of the most popular is bound to be Fido. It's a new half-dog, half-bred species. Fido can puff himself up, but he also has yeast-like breath, which can ferment things and also help with cooking. So Titian is a new ice-type Pokemon that has powerful attacks, thanks to their huge body, and also has really strong defense as well. Well, Caradon and Muradon, they're new legendary Pokemon that appear on the cover art, and it looks like we're going to be getting hold of these legendaries early on in the game. They're not only powerful Pokemon who are going to be strong allies, but they also double up as vehicles, so we can ride them either by flying or using them as motorcycles. Well, they can change form to adapt to different ways of travel, they can run fast through open areas, they can swim in the water, and they can also glide through the air. Well, changing forms is a running theme in this entry of the Pokemon game, with other Pokemon able to change things up as well. So Gen 9 has a new method similar to Dynamaxing of Sword and Shield, where Pokemon can get new abilities in battles. This time it's called Terrestrialize, and that turns Pokemon into gems or crystals, allowing them to become more powerful than some Pokemon change type when they go into this form. For example, Eevee has a new Terra type option that she can change into. Well, Gen 9 features Terra Raid battles, which are four-player cart battles against terrestrialized Pokemon. They aren't turn-based battles, meaning players can attack and heal at any time throughout the match, rather than having to wait their turn. And that should turn up the excitement and the action. So you've got a built-in matchmaking mode for this, where you can send out link codes to your friendship group. If you take down the terrestrialized Pokemon, you have a chance to catch it. Well, cart mode expands to the Paldea region with friends as well. So using Scarlet and Violet's Union Circle, you can bring in up to three friends to play with and explore the region together in four-player co-op. And together, you're going to be able to capture Pokemon, plus trade and battle with each other. Well, Scarlet and Violet looks to have a decent-sized story mode with plenty of characters to meet along the way. Well, here we've already been introduced to Professor Sada and Professor Churo. There's also a bunch of new characters that we hadn't seen before this showcase. Clavel is the director of the academy and teaches you about the school. Mr. Jacques is the homeroom teacher who teaches you about biology, and Jacques is also the developer of the Pokedex app. Arvin teaches you about cooking, for example, promoting healthy recipes for your Pokemon. And Penny is also another character, although she seems quite shy. Grusha is a gym leader, a snowboarder, who specializes in ice-type Pokemon and trains the new Setitan. Yeah, the Pokemon company is saying this is a true open-world Pokemon entry. You know, we recently had Pokemon Legends Arceus, which was the semi-open-world, similar to kind of a Monster Hunter game. But this one is going the full open-world. It's going to be interesting to see how the traditional gym leader stories work in the open-world formula, you know, how the bosses and the enemies scale. In theory, you should be able to go anywhere and battle any gym leader in any order. That is going to depend on the scaling of the difficulty and the enemies. 
So how open world this is going to be, you know, it's really, really going to be interesting to see. So it does look like the Pokemon company are doing some neat things here to switch up the formula, but will it be enough to push the series forward to where it needs to be? You know, only time is going to tell. Well, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is going to arrive on the 8th of November 2022, and that one is exclusive to Nintendo Switch. Well, that is it for everything we know at the moment about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Uh, it looks really interesting. I'm definitely going to get hold of it when it comes out on the 8th of November 2022. Well, that is it for now for Pokemon. But next up, let's have a look at the Annapurna Showcase. And this one comes from Marcus Stewart out of Game Informer. Well, over the last couple of weeks was the Annapurna Showcase's second annual show, you know, revealing what's to come from the publisher over the next few months. Well, fresh off the release of the viral cat sensation Stray, the showcase featured a deep look at some of the previously announced games and also some brand new reveals and insights into indie devs that the publisher is currently working with. So first up was an in-depth look at the joyful and surreal thirsty suitors from Outer Loop Games, this one is an action RPG about fighting exes, disappointing parents, and finding yourself. Footage revealed the game's turn-based combat and sees the young female protagonist squaring up against those titular thirsty suitors, amusing you know, taunt shift suitor modes to debuff them, while the dialogue choices build the personality of the protagonist. Eventually, the opposing suitor drags her into the inner psychic world, but the battle ends with reconciliation rather than defeat. You know, as Persona meets Scott Pilgrim, with a unique Indian-American perspective that marries culture and gameplay. You know, throw in accessible but deep skating gameplay on the side, and a vibrant aesthetic and thirsty suitors is looking absolutely wonderful. And it's due out in 2023 across PC, that's Steam, Xbox consoles via Game Pass, PlayStation consoles, and also Nintendo Switch. Well, next up we had Hindsight, the previously revealed melancholic narrative gameplay from the creator of the mobile game Prune. Well, the new trailer hinted further at its intriguing plot and somber tone and revealed the release date the 4th of August on Switch, Steam and iOS. Well, the showcase also announced some brand new titles. Well, the most interesting was The Lost Wild. That should appease Dino Crisis fans. So Brighton-based developer Great Ape Games has created a first-person survival horror in a Jurassic Park-esque dino-infested jungle that's available to wishlist now on Steam. Also intriguing was Flock from the creator of Hokum. Its vibrant, almost alien worlds appear to be underwater above ground. You know, spec flying whales, shoals of fish swimming through the air, and a fluffy cloud sheep, all accompanied by a beautiful electronic score. You know, the multiplayer co-op game was released on Xbox consoles via Game Pass, PlayStation consoles, and also on PC, and that one is via Steam. As for Hokum, the cult classic art game previously published for Sony, on PS3, PS4 and Vita, is also out now on Steam. Fans of Katamari Damacy will be pleased to know its creator, Kaita Takahashi, is working on a brand new game, but we only saw the title, and that is Uvula. Well, there's also Bounty Star, which puts third-person mech shooting into a Wild West setting with a likeable protagonist, Clementine McKinney. It's coming to Xbox consoles, that's via Game Pass Plus, PlayStation consoles and PC via Steam, so expect farming and base building too. A number of games already are available coming out on new platforms. That includes The Outer Wilds coming to PS5 and Xbox Series S and X on the 15th of September as a free upgrade with 60 FPS. 
and the Switch port is also still on the way. The Pathless and Maquette both coming to Xbox and Switch this winter, and Solar Ash arriving on Steam on the 6th of December, and also Xbox Game Pass this winter, and what remains of Edith Finch is also now on Series X and S, with PS5 and 4K and 60fps support. Well, finally, the developer spotlights throughout the showcase revealed a sneak peek at some forthcoming projects. So Cardboard Computer, the team behind Kentucky Route Zero, are working on a new game with lively animations and comedy. Now, quite the turnaround from Kentucky Route Zero. All we saw was a cute animated dog. And the new developer, Yarn Owl, is working on a Zelda-style action-adventure game. And also another new developer, Third Shift from Germany, they're creating Forever Ago, a narrative game about an elderly gentleman documenting a road trip through photography. Well, lastly, the next game from Irish developer Dreamfeel will be set in a fantasy version of Ireland and feature cats, and it will feature hand-drawn characters and be themed around coming together in the face of adversity, just like its previous trans-narrative game, If Found. Well, loads of really, really cool stuff there from Annapurna Interactive. Definitely can't wait for loads of that stuff and loads coming to Xbox Game Pass as well. It's a really, really exciting things to look forward to from Annapurna Interactive. Well, that's it from Annapurna for now, but next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week is a new entry. It's Digimon Survive. And number 9 this week, it's down one place from last week's number 8. It's Animal Crossing New Horizons. A new entry again at 8, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. And number 7, it's Minecraft, and that is holding steady from last week. And number 6 this week, it's F122, that is down one place from last week's number 5. And number 5 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down one place from last week's number 4. And number 4 this week, down one... And number 4 this week, down two places from last week's number 2. It's Nintendo Switch Sports. And number 3 this week, holding steady, it's Lego Star Wars... The Skywalker Saga. Then number two, down one place from last week's number one, it's Horizon Forbidden West. And a new entry at number one, it's Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And that one is from Nintendo. Well, Nintendo, once again, dominating the top ten charts. And talking about Nintendo, I've been delving back into my classic Nintendo history. And this one was one of the first video games that I remember playing. And I played through this one... And I played through this one as a kid with my dad. And in the build-up to Breath of the Wild 2, I've been going back through the Legend of Zelda series. So this one, I've been really looking forward to going back. It's a very, very divisive game. You either love it or you hate it. And I have to say, having played through it again, I absolutely love it. Well, next up, I'm going to bring you my review of Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Well, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link is a divisive Legend of Zelda entry. You know, it's very different from other entries with its side-scrolling action and RPG mechanics. Plus, it's also got the controversial live system. It's got more in common with Metroid and Castlevania than it does with other Legend of Zelda games, but there's just something about it that I love. You know, it was my first Zelda game when I wound back the clock to play it once again, and today I'm going to bring you my own review of Zelda 2, the Adventure of Link. Well, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link originally came out in 1987, just short of a year after the first game. Nintendo rightly had the confidence in the first Legend of Zelda game, much like Mario Bros. 2, and they took a dramatically different direction with the sequel. 
Now, the first game was top-down in what would become a very familiar formula for the series, and Zelda 2 did retain some top-down elements, but only for navigating the Hyrule map. Now, the main gameplay loop of the game is very focused on action and sword fighting, but in a side-scrolling view, so Link can slash with his sword, defend with his shield, plus this is a very difficult game, given you only have a certain amount of lives, so precision and persistence is absolutely key. Nintendo diverted from the foundation set by the first Legend of Zelda game in other ways too. You know, while the gameplay focuses mainly on intense sword battles and bullet hell-like enemy encounters with magic and classic Zelda exploration and secrets, they are also big plus points of the game. Link has a list of spells that he can acquire from wise old men in various towns across Hyrule and they help him in battle or getting around the environment itself. The shield is one of the most used spells throughout the game which will often soften the blow of enemies, plus you've got Jump, which allows you to have a high jump, and then you've got Fairy, which unsurprisingly turns you into a fairy so you can get to those hard-reached places. Exploration and secrets are here too in Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. It offers up some of the best moments in the game, so given the limitations of the Nintendo Entertainment System, much like the first Zelda game, you have to work hard for these secrets, although they aren't quite obtuse as in the first game, where a guide is almost essential. In Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link, there are at least clues. For example, earlier on you meet a small boy who tells you to go south when you get to King's Tomb, and that reveals a secret passageway to get to the Island Palace. So this is a great moment when you first fall through that secret hole and end up near a dungeon. Now, it's surprising and also very satisfying, and probably one of the reasons why I fell in love with the game at an early age. There are other decent secrets in the game like finding the mirror and also the simple but effective NPC quest to find the wise old men in the towns plus you've got the palace items to help make your way through Hyrule like the raft and the flute. Nintendo also introduced RPG mechanics to Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link where you can level up three abilities so health, attack and magic. Throughout the game you have to collect magic containers and also gather XP which is shown in the top right of the screen. Well, this naturally levels you up throughout the game, but you are rewarded for your exploration, given you're going to find heart containers and pouches of XP. You are gated from progress in the game if you don't level up enough, so it's definitely worth your time exploring and gathering XP as you go, as to not hit these artificial gate points. This can be really frustrating and off-putting, which most likely adds to this sense of frustration, and why some fans of the series don't enjoy this entry at all. So the final difference I'm going to talk about is the live system. So you start off with three lives, and when you die, you go back to the start of the last screen that you entered. And when you lose all your lives, you go back all the way to the start in the middle of Hyrule, next to Princess Zelda, who spends much of the game asleep. You know, most of the time, dying doesn't really matter. It's fairly easy to go back to where you need to be quite quickly. But the only time this is really an issue is when you have to get through something like Death Mountain on your way to get the hammer earlier on in the game, or when you're fighting a boss in a palace. If you lose all of your lives, you have to go all the way back through Hyrule and make your way through that palace. You know, that can often include blue iron knuckles. And if you haven't encountered blue iron knuckles before, these are perhaps some of the most annoying enemies in all games, not just Zelda games. So the life system is unique to Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. After this, it didn't appear in the Zelda franchise again. Well, sword fighting is a big part of Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. 
Link starts out with basic attacks and he can stand and attack or crouch and attack with his sword. Link also uses his shield to fend off enemies and projectiles. You don't actually have to press a button to activate the shield, Link always holds it in front of him, making this action nice and easy. You simply have to face the direction of the attack or the thing flying towards Link's head. Well, later on in the game you learn new sword techniques like the downward and the upward slash and that is great for the variety of attacking styles but also good for traversal given the downward slash stops you from taking damage when you're jumping over enemies. Well, The gameplay structure of Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link is as follows. So you explore Hyrule to find an item or a town, speak to the old man in the town to get the spell, make your way to a palace via an occasional puzzle, then you find an item in a palace which unlocks a new area of Hyrule, solve that palace, beat the boss and then you repeat that process. And while much is different about Zelda 2, when compared to Zelda 1, there are familiarities too. The sense of discovery is there, there's plenty of secrets to uncover, the music is absolutely fantastic, and this is the first game when Nintendo started building the world of Hyrule. Yeah, one benefit of the RPG design of the game is you get to speak to loads of characters there, and that builds the world making, making it richer from a narrative point of view. And while the gameplay of Zelda 1 is arguably better, the lore and the story of Zelda 2 star and really, really do bring the series forward. So while I do think the game is good, there are also very frustrating elements and the game can feel outright obtuse at times. The Death Mountain sequence is a particular part of the game that is tough and part of the game that had me dying time and time again and thankfully it didn't make me quit the game although there are moments in the game where you consider whether it's worth it or not. You know, the final palace, the Great Palace, is so, so difficult, really, and that final boss, really, really tough. It really makes you pull your hair out. Overall, I really do think it's worth it, though, and if you're a fan of these Elder series, it's great to go back to and see where the series came from. You can see plenty of the DNA in modern Zelda games in older titles. For example, A Link to the Past influenced many versions after it, and in comparison, Zelda 2 didn't really influence many. Personally, I would love to see a modern remake of Zelda 2. I'm not really sure this will happen though, because according to series creator Shigeru Miyamoto, The Adventure of Link is the only Legend of Zelda game he considers a failure due to the limitations of the hardware. Well, talking of Miyamoto, the development of The Adventure of Link started with his idea of creating a side-scrolling game which used up and down movements for attack and defense. And that idea was then developed as a new sword and shield action game that did not follow the system seen in the first Legend of Zelda. At the end of the development, the game was considered as a type of spin-off until it was decided on a story where Link would be 16 years old, attaching Zelda to the title. You know, the leveling up system was added so players could battle enemies multiple times, while encounters on the overworld added a luck factor into the narrow map. You know, the high difficulty of the game was implemented to extend the play sessions due to the lack of content in the game, and that explains the high difficulty, which makes sense given its release date of 1987. So this is also a rare sequel in Zelda titles, so Ocarina of Time had Majora's Mask, they are linked as direct sequels, but Zelda 2 is also a direct sequel from Zelda 1, so in the timeline revealed in the book Hyrule Historia, the adventure of Link takes place in the Downfall branch after Ocarina of Time, it's the latest entry in that timeline, which has its roots in Ocarina of Time and started with A Link to the Past. Now, after Ganon is defeated in A Link to the Past, 
Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, a link between worlds, Hyrule then entered the Golden Era, in which the wise Hyrule monarchs used the Triforce to govern the land. You know, after the last king's death and the attempt of the Prince of Hyrule to assemble the complete Triforce, Hyrule was led to the Era of Decline, and the Prince of Darkness Ganon was revived, leading to the events of the Lind of Zelda, but ultimately he was defeated by Link. The events of The Adventure of Link takes place a few years later, but refer back to Princess Zelda, who was put under a sleeping spell at the beginning of the Era of Decline. Well, I'm probably a little bit biased when it comes to Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. As I said, I played through this one as a kid with my dad. I remember sitting on the carpet in front of our NES and our old school TV, playing through it with him, and I think I completed it as a kid. I do remember facing off against Shadow Link, and he, of course, is the final boss. But it really is one of my first gaming memories, and also one of the memories that led me to fall in love with not only The Legend of Zelda series, but video games itself. You know, if you're a fan of the Legend of Zelda series, Zelda 2 is a standout title. It really isn't like any other title. And while some players really, really don't like it, I reckon it's worth going back and giving it a go. For me personally, I got a lot out of that playthrough. And while this game is difficult and there's definitely some obtuse parts in the game, there's loads to really, really like about it as well. You've got the RPG mechanics, you've got the world building, you've got the magic spells, and also you've got that sense of adventure and the secrets too. I reckon it's well worth going back and giving Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link a playthrough for yourself. Well, that is it for my review of Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. But that isn't it for The Legend of Zelda for this episode. I've been really looking forward to Breath of the Wild 2, and we still have a few months to wait. Although that doesn't stop me going back and combing through everything Nintendo has said to glean some new clues. So that's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to bring you everything that Nintendo has said about Breath of the Wild 2. We could be on the cusp of a major announcement from Nintendo about Breath of the Wild 2. Now, it's been a while, and we sure are hungry for new information, but with that in mind, I thought it would be a good time to round up everything Nintendo has said about Breath of the Wild 2. So today, I'm going to be checking out interviews with key Nintendo staff and going over all the details with you. Well, without further delay, let's dive into everything Nintendo has said about Breath of the Wild 2. Well, first of all, we've got an interview with IG Alnuma from Brian Shea. This one is on June the 11th in 2019, and that is from Game Informer. So Brian says, direct sequels are rare in Zelda titles, but Alnuma saw something special about Breath of the Wild and wanted to create a new experience. Alnuma said, One of the reasons we wanted to create a continuation was because I wanted to revisit that Hyrule again and use that world again while incorporating new gameplay and a new story, he says. During the conversation, Aonuma confirmed that Hidemaru Fujibayashi will be returning to the directorial role for the sequel of Breath of the Wild, and Aonuma says, we are working together really hard on this game. When asked if he's given himself more time to complete the Breath of the Wild sequel than he was given for Majora's Mask, and that was famously created in less than a year, Aonuma laughs, when I was making Majora's Mask, the timeline was in a year. I was a little stubborn, and I was going to make it from scratch, and it was really going to be gun-ho, but it turns out the staff are a little tired from that process. I've learned to give myself plenty of time. You don't want to do it that way, or else you're going to get white hair just like me. 
And Alnuma also confirmed that players will not need an expansion pack to play Breath of the Wild sequel, as they did for Majora's Mask on the Nintendo 64, saying, It's going to be a continuation, and it will come in full form as it is. So here, IG Alnuma confirms the fact it is a full sequel, continuing straight after the events of the original Breath of the Wild. Now, not many Zelda games get a direct sequel, and I do think it's a good thing Nintendo didn't take the same approach as Majora's Mask. So yes, we would have got the game quicker, but Majora's Mask was such a specific style of game. You know, given the Zelda team have been working on this now for a number of years, that gives me great confidence it's going to live up to the original Breath of the Wild. Well, next up we've got another interview with IG Alnuma, and this one is from Jason Schreier from the 18th of June 2019, when he was working at Kotaku. So Shreya says, What made you and the team decide to make a sequel to Breath of the Wild as opposed to a new Zelda game? Alnuma replies, When we released the DLC for Breath of the Wild, we realised this is a great way to add more elements to the same world. But when it comes down to some technical things, DLC is pretty much data. You're adding data to a pre-existing title. And so, when we wanted to add bigger changes, DLC is not enough. And that's why we thought maybe a sequel would be a good fit. Shreya goes on to ask, was this sequel originally planned as a DLC? And Numa replies, initially, we were thinking of it just as DLC ideas, but then we had a lot of ideas and said, this is just too many ideas, let's just make one new game and start from scratch. Well, IGL Numa goes into some detail here about why they're making the sequel. You know, given the new gameplay mechanics, and the fact that Nintendo wanted to add bigger changes to the game, makes me really excited about the gameplay elements they're going to add. We've already seen some of these through trailers and also patents, with the time reversal, travelling through solid matter, and also hints in the patents at aerial combat, although we're yet to see in those trailers. I do have a good video that I made about that, and you can check this one out here. Well, Next up, Sam Claiborne interviews IGL Numa. This one is from the 28th of June 2019, and this one comes from IGN. So just for a little bit of context, this was off the back of the first trailer they released in 2019, and all the staff at IGN were very, very excited about it. So Sam says, I have to ask about that trailer. Everybody is buzzing with excitement. It seems like this was a dark twist on Breath of the Wild. It reminded me of Majora's Mask. Was that on purpose? Alnuma replies, the new Breath of the Wild, or the sequel to it, is not necessarily going to be related to Majora's Mask or inspired by it. It just so happened to be what we showed you is currently a little bit darker, and we're honestly still in production, so we can't really say exactly how it's going to be turning out. Sam follows up with another question saying, I know for a long time people have wanted to play as Zelda, and there's been some games where you get to play as Zelda a little bit. So it looked like Zelda and Link were hanging out a lot together. You know, do you think this is going to be a game where we get to play as Zelda, maybe in a co-op game? Alnuma says, it is kind of interesting that you bring that up, because in Breath of the Wild, you see Zelda and Link together often too. So to go straight to the thought of co-op is very interesting to me. And later on in the interview, Sam goes on to say, you know, what recent open world games have you been playing that you draw inspiration from? You know, probably the sequel that we just found out about today. Alnuma says, well, recently I have been very busy, especially with Link's Awakening, and this interview was around the time of the press all about Link's Awakening, so Alnuma must have been very, very tired indeed. Alnuma continues saying, So the thing is, 
On my breaks, I've also been playing Cadence of Hyrule, and I've really just been overloaded with loads of Zelda games recently. So Sam follows up with, what is a game that you keep on hearing younger members of staff talk about and that inspires them? Alnuma replies, I do remember when I was working on Breath of the Wild, Mr. Fujibayashi was the director and he was playing Skyrim. Another thing I did hear about, there were a lot of people, they were playing Red Dead Redemption 2. So Anuma here reiterates that Breath of the Wild 2 isn't going to be like Majora's Mask, just that the first E3 2019 trailer was much darker, and Nintendo put that right when they showed off their next trailer at E3 2021, where the trailer setting was much brighter and it showed everything above ground rather than the dark, creepy setting of the first trailer underground. Now Numa expertly dodges the playable Zelda question there from Sam, you know, rightly pointing out that we do see Zelda and Link together in the first game quite a lot, and Zelda wasn't playable there. He didn't outright confirm nor deny, so I do think that left fans with a lot of hope that in fact we are going to see a playable Zelda. I'd really like to see a playable Zelda in a mainline Zelda game. I think it is time to do it. Also, at the end, we do have confirmation of Skyrim and Red Dead Redemption 2 as inspirations for the latest Legend of Zelda games. Well, next up, we have some interesting Nintendo job listings. This is from the 5th of July 2019. This one was featured in Games Radar. So, Nintendo recently shared Japanese listings for terrain designers and level designers, contract positions, both of which mention dungeons. So, the listings are mostly composed standard information such as preferred experience and potential compensation. However, the descriptions of the jobs themselves gives us a little bit more insight into the Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel. So the terrain designer position will work on parts of the game such as field dungeons, and the level designer will work on game event, dungeon, and field planning. So the latter position will also help with work on creating and tweaking enemies, just in case you were worried the sequel wouldn't expand on the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, you know, it has a relatively limited cast of enemies. So although this isn't a specific interview, it is Nintendo posting job listings looking for specific skills. So field dungeons and game event dungeon field planning, you know, they all sound really promising when it comes to the addition of old school Zelda dungeons being in the sequel to Breath of the Wild. Although you probably could consider the Divine Beasts as dungeons, Hopefully, we're going to have more information when Nintendo shows us that next trailer. Well, next up, we've got an interview with Bill Trinan by Matt Kim. This one came out on the 17th of June 2021, and this one, once again, is from IGN. So officially, Nintendo is calling the game the sequel to Breath of the Wild. This is because the game will have a proper subtitle, just not one Nintendo is ready to reveal just yet. As for why we're holding back on the name, you're just going to have to stay tuned, because obviously, Zelda names are kind of important, Trinan says during the interview. Those subtitles, they start to give little bits of hints about maybe what is going to happen. You know, Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be shorthand, it's natural for people to want to find a shorthand way to frame it. You know, we're still calling it the sequel to Breath of the Wild, says Trinan. Now, after the E3 2021 trailer, we got more from Nintendo and Bill Trinan, during interviews with IGN, and apparently this points to some plot spoilers in the name of the game, although it is hard to look at some of the names of the games and understand the theme or the plot. You know, I can see what you're talking about in Ocarina of Time. That makes sense, there was an Ocarina, you were travelling through time. But Breath of the Wild didn't really give too much away. Skyward Sword, well, yes, you know, maybe that hints at being in the sky, and the Master Sword is a big theme, 
And then you've got Twilight Princess. You know, both of those titles, I think, are ambiguous enough. You know, there are rumours that the name will be Breath of Duality, and that certainly makes sense from a thematic point of view. If we're going to be switching between Link and Zelda, maybe switching between the sky and the earth, above ground or underground, or maybe even switching between dimensions. Well, that is it for now for Breath of the Wild 2, but next up, I'm going to dive into Fortnite, and this one is no build mode. Well, I'm definitely a casual Fortnite player, having dabbled in the game when it first came out, and also back again in more recent seasons with the Marvel crossover for Endgame. However, with no build mode coming into the game, I could definitely see myself putting many more hours in here. Now I don't have to worry about building. So Fortnite has been through plenty of iterations over the years, and for those that love the game, it's more than the Battle Royale. It's a competitive shooter, it's a creative hub, it's somewhere to hang out with friends and chat. You know, for others, it's a meme. They hate it and they switch off at the very mention of the F word. You know, I was somewhere in the middle. I'd played the game a few times, but only solo and never with friends. I've got some gaming buddies, but they like PUBG and Battlefield. And convincing them to play Fortnite always seemed a little bit of a stretch too far. You know, one of the features that really put me off of the game was the building. I could do it, but I wasn't quick enough and you'd find yourself in a situation with a handful of players left, and I'd always be the one left who couldn't build as fast as my opponents, as they constructed a huge defensive system around them, or made a tower to get the upper ground. You know, building just wasn't my thing, and it really, really turned me off the game, I thought, for good. Well, earlier, in 2022, Epic Games turned off the building for a time, and since then, I'd been meaning to jump in and give Fortnite a try one more time. So i finally done it, and it's a whole load of fun. It feels like the game has been through a huge balancing process, the playing field levelled for those who don't enjoy building, and just want to get into the nitty-gritty of having the Battle Royale mode. You know, I've seen plenty of non-Fortnite players jump back into the game and talk on podcasts about how much fun they're having, and I can imagine Fortnite No Build Mode being in the discussion for Game of the Year 2022, or at least the ongoing game. So if Epic's intention was to remove the barriers to entry for some players, I think they've done their job really, really well. As well as new and old players jumping in, the no build mode attracted a bump in Twitch streams, not only from players, but also from viewers as well. Fortnite isn't what it used to be in its heyday of 2018 and 2019. It's no longer the most popular game on the platform. It's lost that crown to Grand Theft Auto V. Well, no build mode was originally introduced as part of Chapter 3 Season 2, so that's last season, we're now in Season 3, and it's part of the ongoing storyline in the live service shooter. Dr. Sloan eliminated everyone's ability to build on the island. Initially, this was an experiment for a couple of weeks, then Epic added the no-build mode as a permanent option. We got loads of games which emulated Fortnite's Battle Royale gameplay, so Apex Legends, Hyperscape, Call of Duty Warzone, Spellbreak, and only a few of these games have lived to tell the tale. Hyperscape and Spellbreak have since been cancelled, whereas Apex Legends and Warzone, they're doing pretty well, arguably with Warzone lagging behind Apex Legends, and while Fortnite emulated PUBG and Rust to develop their own Battle Royale, none of these other games copied the building feature that stayed unique to Fortnite. Well, the building was originally added to Fortnite Save the World, and that is much more of a PvE horde mode where you have to fend off zombies. The building was carried over into the main Battle Royale game at the time and stuck around, 
But personally, this was the element that always put me off. Well, now there's a mode I don't have to worry about building in. That definitely motivates me to play more, and I've been having a great time with it. I can even see myself convincing my friends to put down Battlefield and jump into Fortnite, and that seems unimaginable only a few months ago. Well, it turns out that Chapter 3 Season 2 was a test for no build mode, and that test went down very well with the casual audiences of Fortnite, just like me. For the hardcore, there's no doubt that there's some resentment, but there's still building modes in the game if you want to play building mode. The only concern I would have as a player is the player population and splitting the player pools across modes. That is probably an unfounded fear though because Fortnite has somewhere between 2.5 and 4 million players every day, so finding a match in any game mode isn't likely to be an issue. Well, Fortnite no build mode gets in more players into a game which has seen its popularity going down since the heights of it a few years ago. Epic noticed this and switched things up enough to attract new players. That is probably a good move given Fortnite is the closest thing we have to the metaverse. You know, Facebook and plenty of other companies are investing in the metaverse at the moment, but we already have something in Fortnite where we can play as our favourite character from movies like the latest Marvel heroes or currently we've got Indiana Jones. We're not far away from having our own avatar and spending much more time in games like Fortnite there's plenty of people who already hang out in Fortnite just to see their friends, and whether they're in building mode, no build mode, or just chatting. So Fortnite has massive concerts with Ariana Grande already, so doing other social activities in the game, or in a mode in the game, isn't a big stretch of the imagination. Well for now, no build mode has captured my imagination, and this week I've sunk a few hours into the game. I'm really enjoying what I'm playing so far, I don't have to worry about running into builders and then feeling like I'm at a disadvantage in the game. If I die, I can only blame my lacklustre gun skills. I'm much more comfortable with that than compared to the building modes. So if you're on the fence about Fortnite, I would say jump back in and give it a shot. No build mode is here to stay given its popularity and for a filthy casual like me, I'm really, really thankful for that. Well, that is it for my impressions of Fortnite and no build mode. I definitely recommend jumping back into it. Well, next up, let's have a look at the games coming out in the next few weeks. Well, first of all, on August the 9th, we've got Two Point Campus. That is coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then we've got Lost in Play. That's coming out on Switch and PC. That is on August the 10th. Then on August the 11th, we've got a few games. We've got Cult of the Lamb. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Switch, and PC. And we've got Rumbleverse. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 12th, we've got Marvel Spider-Man. That is the PC port of the highly popular former PlayStation exclusive. And then on the 16th of August, we've got Blossom Tales 2. That is the Minotaur Prince. And then we've got Rollerdrome. That is on PS5, PS4, and also coming to PC. On the 18th of August, we've got Curse 2 Golf. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got RPG Time, The Legend of Right. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. And we've got Thymesia. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X and PC. Also on the 18th, we've got We Are OFK. That's PS5, PS4, Switch and PC. Finally, on the 19th of August, it's Madden NFL 23. That is coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and also the PC as well. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com 
or on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. That Patreon address once again is patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. We could check out the latest on the website. Well, thank you so much for watching and for listening and for more This Week in Video Games content like this. Subscribe on YouTube or your favourite podcast app and share with a friend. Make sure to go over there on Twitter and give us a follow at TWIVG Podcast. And if you enjoyed the podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out loads of other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. Have a great week and I'll see you really, really soon.